Who took away the part so essential to the whole, left you a hollow body, skin, and bone? Tracy Chapman. Bending Not Breaking, Season 4, Episode 4, The Voice in the Night. And we're back with another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. This is Ben Pruitt. And as always, Max is there twisting those dials, making us sound all silky smooth. And we are talking about some more Korra. We're still in book one of Korra. That's right. We, which, I love Korra. It, it is. It's so, there's so much, so much, and so much in this episode, and so much in this episode that we actually needed to bring in a special guest. Yeah. Uh, we can't handle it by ourselves. Not at all. Uh, I can only do so much. And we have quite the guest here today uh, with us. Today we have uh, not a singer-songwriter, an artist, a content creator, and TikTok star who analyzes everything Avatar, Avatar, and Legend of Korra superfan, Brenna Lynn, what's up? <laughs> Thank you. Hello. We are so excited to have you on this show today. And we know that you've got a massive Avatar background, and you've really just started diving into Legend of Korra, it feels like, recently, um, based on the, the content on TikTok. But what, can you tell us kind of like how has how Avatar and Legend of Korra played a role in your life, and, and why did you start watching it, and kind of your, your Avatar Legend of Korra story? Oh, I'd love to tell you about it. So I actually originally started watching Avatar The Last Airbender when it came out, when it aired on Nickelodeon. So I actually like very clearly remember the day that I fought, I first saw the two um, the two premiere episodes because they played two in a row. And in my little like 10-year-old mind when it first premiered and I saw two episodes in a row, I thought it was just going to keep on going. And I was like, what? I have to wait? Um, and that was probably the first time. <laughs> in, yeah, that was probably the first time in my life that I was like, okay, I have to wait for this show that I like. And I would every day or every Friday, <laughs> I would watch the show as it came out. Um, and my siblings and I would all watch it together and we'd talk about it and we just totally fell in love with it. Um, and it meant so much to me as a kid um, on so many different levels. And then um, and that was back when it was like not cool to watch it. Like nobody knew about it. Um, and then I just have rewatched it so many times throughout my life. And every time I watch it, I get something new out of it. It's just, it's such a good, full, complete show that's got so many layers and so much depth. Um, and I just rewatched it oh, like a million times. I ended up buying it. Like everybody I can convince to watch it, I would. Um, and then just recently, I started making TikTok um, content about it. So basically, I was on TikTok already. I've been on the internet for a while um, making music and uh, just talking about like mental health and um, emotion and emotional health and music and art um, on YouTube mostly, but I also was doing it a little bit on TikTok. And I was actually talking to my little cousin about something, and she said something that made me ask her, like, oh, do you watch Avatar? Like, have you heard of Avatar? Like, you're my little cousin. And she's like, yeah, it's this new show on Netflix. Have you seen it? And I was like, no, no, it's not a new show. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 it's, it's an old show. And, you know, we ended up talking about it a lot. And, you know, it's just amazing that people in completely different walks of life can talk about how great it was. Um, so when I found out it was back on Netflix, I started making um, – um, content surrounding it um, to sort of share information about it. 
Um, because when I watched the show as it came out on Nickelodeon, they had all these like fun in between the scenes, behind the scenes things, um, that my cousins didn't know about since they were new to it. So it was really fun to share it with them. And so I started sharing it with the rest of the internet. And before I knew it, I was just breaking down everything from different trauma that the characters were experiencing to, um, the different fighting styles of the different um, characters uh, and any everything, the science behind what I think might be how bending works, <laughs> um, as well as just lots of other people's um, thoughts and just sort of pushing other content that I thought was cool. Um, I have also watched – I watched Legend of Korra when it came out, but I rewatched it um, – and now I'm actually rewatching it for a third time. And so it just, you know, same thing. There's so many different layers of it, and it's nice to get something new out of it each time. I am kind of blown away by that intro because there are so many things where I was like, ooh, that's that's kind of how we feel. Ooh, that's what we say. <laughs> oh, my God, we think that too. And so, like, this is, like, like meant to be, I think. Like, yeah, this like, did is we just going to be a really cool friends? conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's time that we become best friends. Welcome to the family. You can move in whenever you like. That's right. This house is a very inclusive one. Um, and we, we love bringing new people into this podcast. So one of the things that I, I think even just me going through core the first time, and I was a, I was a, I would call myself a full blown adult, maybe not in maturity, but all, but in age, um, <laughs> when I started watching I, this show, I can vouch for that. And I think for me, just in probably the four or five years between the first time I saw Cora and now, so much more and so different in the way that I viewed it the first time around, and so I'm just very excited to get to dive into all this well, i think the commentary of cora is becoming more and more and more prevalent and more poignant it's becoming more real every day and so i just i think cora is very special in how it uh is attacking really important subjects like what we'll be talking about today which is what ben what are we talking about today well we're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about episode four of Korra. Duh. Yes, correct. But we watched this episode. Well, Brenna, you picked the lens here. And so you kind of gave us this idea of emotional restriction as a lens to kind of watch this episode through. So when you were thinking of that lens, Brenna, what, what was going, to, going through your mind? Why did you want to talk about emotional restriction? Um, That's a great question. So emotional restriction, I guess, is something that has always sort of um, it's always been something that I've thought about because I'm really good with emotions. And by that, I mean, I'm extremely emotional <laughs> and I've sort of forced myself to figure out how to process them. Um, and I'm really blessed to have like really strong support systems to help me figure out how to process my emotions and in particular, my mom. Um, but also I have always been a songwriter. I've written songs from the time I was little. And I remember when I was little, you know, people would say like, I'd sing a sad song and they'd be like, Oh, you wrote that song and it made you feel better. You know, and my little, like, 13-year-old self was like, uh, yeah, sure. But when I, like, thought about it, I'm like, that's not true. The, writing the song didn't make me feel better. Um, it didn't make the emotion go away. Um, but what it did do is it was the only way I could really analyze, break down, process, deconstruct my emotions so that I could be okay, right? Like, I didn't – it didn't make anything better, but it made it – um not so big and looming and scary, right? It was, it made it something that had a name and a face. It made it something that I could move through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you and, oh, you and I had a very different like childhood. And so I went through, I was emotionally repressed as a child. So like emotional restriction was kind of my, my thing. And hearing that from you is I, I think ultimately that is what led me to music. Music was the first place 
way, and I say place intentionally. It was like it, it felt like a place I could go to. Um, music was the first place where I felt like I wasn't restricting my emotions. I could be fully myself without having to kind of hold on to that. And so that's really interesting that you kind of accessed that feeling through music. So that's just a, a oh, neat yeah. little, I, I find that, I find that interesting. I so agree. I always tell people emotion, um, music is what emotions sound like, like, Mm. really how do you describe an emotion like it's really it's really hard to describe an emotion you have to feel it yet music can bring these emotions in and we can say that that sounds like it's sad or that sounds like it's excited right like I mean that's that's probably true for all art um but I think especially music because it literally is vibrations right it literally is this this sort of I don't know it's it's magic and it's and it's emotion it's what emotions sound like (laughs) Well, and I love this thing that you talked about earlier, this idea of the emotion doesn't necessarily go away. Like this emotion isn't like these actions of processing emotions is not the purpose is to not be like, and you don't feel anymore. It's (laughs) this idea of rumbling with it and identifying it and understanding why it's there and what it means and how we navigate that in the future. It's not this idea of like, and I was angry and now like because I did this one thing, I will never feel anger again because that's not necessarily the purpose of processing well, That's emotions. not how that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's interesting because when we look at the definition of restriction, I don't love it in regards to when we talk about emotions because it talks about the limitation or control of something. And I don't like the idea of like when we restrict emotions that that's us controlling them. I think like this idea of how we navigate emo- like an, this emotions are neutral and the way that we approach them and process them allows that our future behaviors or actions then get to kind of fall into the realm that we want them to fall and to be productive. But this idea of like when you restrict your emotion, you're controlling it like you're repressing it. And that's not necessarily what we want to do to live into the world the way that is most productive or the way that we want to live into it. Yeah, and honestly, that I don't like that definition for restriction in general. I mean, think about, like, when people diet and do calorie restriction. Like, I don't say that's exactly control. It's more like um, a deprivation. Yeah, the just restriction is a, a generally a, a worrisome, problematic conversation. No matter what we're talking about restricting, I feel like, whether it's uh, body shaming and diet culture, whether it's emotional uh, restriction, whether it's restricting ourselves from uh, purely based off like religious reasons to restrict ourselves. There's a lot of reasons to restrict, but most of the time I feel like, why? Why are we restricting ourselves? Who is Yeah, it's is very it unnatural. Exactly. I think it's very unnatural sounding. Yeah, I like that concept. Well, before we jump into how all of this plays into the episode, me being the responsible, productive... Uh, what's Keep the going. Word? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking of uh, accountable oh, uh, uh-huh. yeah, co-host sure, sure, of this sure. show. I'm going to take responsibility and accountability for what I'm supposed to be doing. You tell yourself which that. Which is the 30-second recap that I don't love doing. <laughs> I love that you're doing it. Yep. It, well, it's my turn this episode. I, I can admit to that. It is your turn. All right. So uh, put 30 seconds on the clock, Ben, if you will. Let me do that. And you give uh, you tell me when to go, and, and I'll go. Okay. Are you ready? I think so. Are you sure? No, but we'll give it a shot anyways. Go. Cora dreams of losing or bending, and then we see the city council arguing about how to tackle Amon, and then Amon takes over the airwaves and scares Cora. Mako falls for Asami, literally, and in this emotional sense. Asami offers Mako a dinner date. Tarlock interrupts dinner at the air temple, and uh, 
tries to get Cora to join a task force. She turns it down. Mako goes to dinner, gets dolled up. That's fun for him. Bolin comes to visit Cora, Five reveals seconds. that uh, she hasn't been to practice, and then uh, they the things happen. More things happen. <laughs> yeah. More things happen. I'm taking a real Max Gongoware approach to doing recaps, which is really just starting them and then being like, and then the episode <laughs> takes place. No, a real Max approach would be like, one day, Koro this was a girl on a mission. And that's it. Yeah. And that's that's the recap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. That, so we, we, we didn't, I didn't get through all of it. I'll, I'll give myself a, a C plus. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. So let's talk. Uh, Breno, we'll start with you. The first moment of emotional restriction, where does that show up in this episode for you? Ooh, okay. Um, honestly, it happens in the like first twenty seconds. <laughs> it happens almost immediately, I love it. right? So the first thing that happens, um, you know, she wakes up from that dream, right, where she's losing her bending, where Amon's taking her bending from her, which is like Cora's worst nightmare because her identity is very much attached to her bending and her abilities and her power. Um, and so it was. It's extremely terrifying for her, and she wakes up, and the first thing she does is kind of like snuggle up with Naga and say, you know, it was just a dream. Um, which I think is so, is interesting. I always hate it when I have a bad dream and somebody's like, it was just a dream. And you're like, well, it was like all these terrible fears of mine, like culminating that in a movie so in minimalizing. mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like, yeah, it, it was a dream. It wasn't real. You know, it didn't happen to her, but it still was like a moment of intense fear that she kind of just, her immediate response was to just stifle, right. And restrict, um, and well, numb I and say it's not important. Can I challenge that language? And so, like, I, I think the way you say it, the way you phrased that was that it you're you're right. It didn't happen to her, but in a way, it did happen to her. Just the, just because it happened inside of her head, does not mean that it didn't happen to her, right? And I, and I think that oftentimes the the literal happening versus something that happens inside our heads is is often because that is invisible. Often because people don't see it, and we can hardly communicate it well. It's easy to minimize. Because the body's still having physiological responses as if they're in that exactly, moment, right? and so the body yeah. is like still had a traumatic response to that dream, and it's like that's what that dream is. It's a traumatic response, and so when we experience things that hurt us, and we ex we experience these flashbacks, these things that prevent us from being able to sleep, these thing these things are happening to us, right? And so I just I think that the the phrase like it was just a dream is exactly right it is restricting the emotions and i'm not going to let myself feel this because i'm a stronger than this right yeah absolutely yeah this idea of, of minimizing and i think you hit the nail on it when someone tells you it's just a dream or that it's no big deal like nothing nothing grinds my gears more <laughs> than yeah. this idea of like what you're feeling uh you shouldn't feel it right like that's just such a tough thing to hear and it's a very unempathetic response that we should challenge when people say those things yeah especially I, because it's also sure. it's also oftentimes obvious like when somebody's telling you a dream after like midday and they're telling you about the dream they had and it's like it's just a dream it's like yeah i i know it was just a dream and it's kind of like with your feelings sometimes too like sometimes you know that it's it's not you know i guess like concretely happening in front of you right now but these emotions are real even if they don't seem justified or they don't seem like they have i guess enough enough like um concrete uh within right in front of you feelings 
Yeah, I just, it really makes me think about, like, I, what came up while you were talking was this, it's the same way we kind of address phobias, like, weird phobias, like, it's just a, like, it's just a spider that can't really hurt you, it can't even bite you, it's too small, it doesn't mean I'm not scared of the spider, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, yeah. or whatever it may be, you know, like, this, the people, there are, there are so many phobias, there's phobias of everything, but, like, people who are scared to go outside, people literally cannot understand why you would be scared to go outside. But to this person, that's their world, right? And so we have to learn to, why do we feel the need to restrict that phobia? Why do we feel the need to do that? And so I I, 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 I have that question, like what is our, why is me responding, it was just a dream? Why do I respond that way? And I think that's what I'm lifting up and questioning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have. It just made me think of this time when I had a friend that was telling me that his girlfriend was upset with him because she had told him she had a dream where he cheated on her, and he said he responded with it was just a dream, and then he she was mad at him, and he was like, "Why is she mad at me? Like it wasn't real. It was a dream." And I was like, "Because you know, she told you this like deep fear that that felt so real, and this emotion." And, you know, you, you told her, like, it's not – it doesn't matter. Like, and instead of saying, like, that sounds really scary, I would never do that. And sort of addressing the actual emotions and the actual fear rather than just kind of immediately saying, let's shut this down. Um, it doesn't – it wasn't real for me. Therefore, it's not real at all. Well, and that's that's the same idea of not only when people – we feel invalidated when someone has that response to us, but then we also choose to do that to ourselves, I feel, because of this societal response that we we fear or th that we're going to receive if we decide to, hey, I know this is just a dream, but it made me feel this way, and I'm trying to process this out loud. Mm -hmm. We're told, like, no, don't do those things. Like, no, like you one, it was fake, so you shouldn't have feelings about that anyways. And then two, like, I don't want to hear about your feelings on a societal level. Um, and yeah. the reality is we see this in this moment. This is the ball getting – like, this is the, the snowball turning into the avalanche for her throughout the course of the episode. Mm -hmm. It's where it starts to pick up momentum, and we start to see the trickles of this throughout the rest of the episode, this fear that expands over and over again until we see the final release of it all at the very end, which is just such a – Honestly, tw like five years ago, 2012, when this first came out, eight years ago, because wow. <laughs> um, but th my response was not to like, f I did not feel that moment. Watching it now, I felt the weight of that yeah. moment, and it was, it was, it uh, hits hard. It was, oh, oof. absolutely. Because I think Tenzin, I think Tenzin plays this right here. I do too. I think Tenzin I plays do. it right where he's, he doesn't press her. But he does give her permission to kind of say, like, hey, you're allowed to process these things. You're allowed to talk about these things. You're allowed to do this stuff. That's what I – so I took notes on that because – so uh, as we're jumping to the end. So, like, Tenzin, like, gives her the space to feel her feelings, right? And so, like, giving her that space to cry, giving her that space where she feels safe with him was integral to not feeling like she has to hide and restrict herself in the future, right? She's been – constantly working on restricting that emotion this whole episode trying not to feel it trying not to feel scared when really what gives her that final release is like is Tenzin and I, I think his work over the past several episodes has led to this moment but I, and I think it's not a one-off moment but I don't know I, just, I think that creating that safe container which we've talked about on the show previously is is so integral to creating an environment where people feel like they don't have to restrict those emotions, right? 
Yeah, I think I think Tenzin, there's a couple of moments where I really appreciate Tenzin in this episode. So that obviously is one. And I definitely felt that feeling as well, that like emotional release, her gasping for air and saying, I've never felt this before and I don't know what to do and I'm scared. Um, that's like that hits me in the feels. Um, but the there was another moment where I was like, oh, like, good job, Tenzin. And it was actually when um um, when Tarlock comes to interrupt the air vendors dinner and he comes in and he talks to them and he's trying to kind of schmooze Cora, like give her all the flattery and try to talk about how great she is and how lucky Republic City is to have her. And, you know, she's like, cool, this is great. And then, you know, he asks her to join the tax task force and um, Cora immediately we see her entire demeanor change. And she just like looks down and is like, no, like, I need to focus on my training, which, like, training has not stopped her from joining a pro-bending tr- team. Like, her training is important to her, but it's definitely not something that would stop her from doing something that she genuinely wanted to do. Um, and she looks down, and she kind of looks – her voice gets soft. Like, she, her entire demeanor changes. And one of the things that I love is how shocked Tenzin is. So there's, like, this moment where Tarlock is, like, I'm shocked. And, like, Tenzin, like, whispers to himself, like, me too. And I think that really shows, like, this moment where Tenzin sees that change. Tenzin knows Korra more than anyone else at this point. Um, you know, anybody, at least in Republic City, that knows her, right? Like, the the, the um, Mackle and Bolin, they know Korra, but they don't know her. They haven't spent as much time with her the way Tenzin has. And Tenzin sees Korra yeah. and is like, whoa, that is not how I expected you to respond. You're not working off of your sort of core values. You're not acting like yourself. You are stifling your yourself. You are um, – you're stifling your emotions, so you're stifling yourself. And you are restricting yourself and not letting yourself be um, who you are and just acting completely out of character. Yeah, and what I love about that is it leads to this pep talk that he offers her. Like, he he says it's okay to be scared. The important thing is to talk or we will go out of balance. And I find that moment to be really important because, like, one of the things I think about when I think about restricting our emotions is sometimes we, we think that is an act of balance. We think restricting our emotions will, like, we need to balance things out and we get back to balance, right? But what restriction does is it can... It, we build up this emotion and what happens is that fear never goes anywhere. And so it continues to tip the scale. And so what restricting it does, doesn't allow it to be experienced and therefore move off of the scale. And so what happens is it isn't like you will go out of balance because what you're doing is you're holding on to it and you're not letting it go. And again, as we said at the beginning, it's not something that it just goes away forever, but it, it ceases to be as much of a burden uh, of a weight, if you will. And, and like the data shows that when, when you act to restrict one emotion, the body cannot do it in a way where you're only restricting that emotion. What happens is the body restricts all your experiencing of all emotions, right? And so th- I, I see this where like it, it, le- it like ultimately leads to this empty feeling. But um, as our uh, sponsor of the show, Brene Brown says, not an actual sponsor, but uh, <laughs> but call us, Brene. Um, yeah, we're we're happy to continue advocating your work, but you can't numb the dark without numbing the light. And we see that we see that in the moment where Bolin comes and shows gratitude for getting saved. We see that moment, right? So he comes up and he's just like, 
And she's like, it's no big deal. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I was terrified. So, like, props to him for being able to admit that in a public place because that's – let's normalize that. Yes. But also just, yes. like, he says that, but that also allows him to feel the joy of being saved. And he's like, I'm so grateful for the work that you did. She's not able to experience that love or that gratitude because she's currently working to suppress these feelings that she's she's having. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually a really good point to bring up Bolin and sort of how he's processing everything because they both were really scared. I mean, a big part of Bolin's identity is his bending, and he's the one whose bending was almost actually really taken away. Like, it was seconds from being taken away. Um, And he comes in and he tells her how afraid he was. He even says, I still can't sleep through the night. Like, he is so open about these emotions, and he's really in a similar place as Cora. But the key difference is, he is letting himself feel those things. He is he is processing them, and yeah, they didn't go away. He's still afraid. He still can't sleep through the night. But like you said, he can feel all these other emotions. Another good example is when he's excited about um, the fact that uh, they're going to be able to afford to be in the um, pro-bending tournament. And he's so excited about it, and all of them are excited about it. And Cora, he tells her at the party. And Cora's kind of like, oh, great. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, you can see, like, she can't feel that happiness because she's just so numb right now. Um, it's, really, it's really interesting to kind of look at the balance between Cora and Bolin and how they're both processing a very similar emotion but in different ways. And how it's, it's funny because – Cora is trying so hard to control her emotion, yet her emotion is controlling her. Whereas Bolin is letting the emotion flow um, like water or lava, if you will. And it's um, because he's not trying to control it, he is sort of in control. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's no. this interesting dichotomy. No, it makes tons of sense. I like, I was following along. I was I was air snapping. I was air snapping yeah. on my end. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, yeah. That, it's because uh, the, like the idea that like. If you don't choose vulnerability, vulnerability will – it's going to invade your space. And so you can either choose to embrace the vulnerability or vulnerability is going to control your every move, right? So if you're scared to do something, that fear is going to control you or you can embrace the fear and lean into it, right? Yeah, and so yeah. I think – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, like, like, even Bolin says it was a big deal. And because of that, it's not such a big deal in his life. Whereas Cora is saying it's no big deal, yet she's the one whose entire life is being consumed by it. Exactly. And so what happens is when we uh, – so if I, what's the difference between Bolin and Cora? Like, if we ask that question, for me – and let me know if you all have a different answer. But for me, the difference is shame. Bolin is experiencing that tariff like he was experienced the the trauma and the 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 terror of almost losing an integral piece of his identity and he is not telling himself that it's his fault right it's not uh that he's bad it's not that he's the the worst whereas the inner story for Cora is I have to hide this no one can see me this week like I like her story is very different and so that to me it's like creates shame. And so when we have experiences of fear or trauma or pain in combination with shame, that emerges as emotional restriction, right? Because we don't want anyone to see our weaknesses. Whereas it seems as though Bolin doesn't see him expressing these things as weakness. It doesn't come across that way. And I think that's the main difference. What do y'all think? Oh, I love that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. You got it, Brenna. All you. (laughs) 
Um, I was just going to say I love that you use the word shame in particular because it really – I think the whole time I watch Korra, I see so much Zuko and Korra. Like I feel like Zuko and Korra have so many similarities, and I think that's a perfect example of just this like um, dealing with shame. I think it's one of the biggest things that she deals with throughout the entire series. Well, and I, One of the things I want to kind of dive into is Korra's actions put her – in, as she's trying to navigate this because of the emotional restriction, she ends up acting in ways that put her at risk because she hasn't dealt with these things, right? So as to combat or to, to compensate for the, am I, am I too weak for this? I shouldn't feel these things. She then goes outwardly aggressive into challenging Amon to a duel, um, knowing that that might not be something that she, that's not, that might be a very dangerous situation for her. That might be something that she's not ready to handle, um, well, for me, the question does is, it. does restriction lead us to extremes, right? And I mean, so when I restrict myself and I get, like, does it lead to the, quote, uh, like, explosion, if you will, right? Does that make sense? It absolutely does, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, when we when we suppress things, and, and it acts differently in different people, but a lot of times when we suppress these emotions or try to hide them, at a, at a certain point, they reach a boiling point, and, and we just we explode, right? And so we, we, we do things that are outside of our character or outside of our values because of the fact that we're not processing the emotions and, and realizing that that's what's causing us to act outside of our values in those, in those moments. Yeah, it makes me think of, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of The Untethered Soul, but it's a book by Michael Singer. And um, my mom used to quote it all the time to me. Um, and it was really sort of it's very it's a very powerful book but there's this analogy that they give about a thorn okay so your trauma or your fear or the things that have happened to you in your life even if they aren't inherently terrible but there's something that hurt you in some way and if you have this thorn in your arm and it's piercing a nerve then even if something just barely brushes against it it hurts right so you have two options the first option is you can say that hurt i'm going to cover it up with a little pad and i'm not going to let anybody near it and i'm going to sleep on this side and i'm not going to let i'm not going to play sports anymore because i don't want to, <laughs> i don't want to hurt that thorn i'm going to totally suppress certain parts of myself i'm going to protect that thorn at all costs but in reality that people will likely bump into you and that thorn will hurt um, and it will hurt you even if they didn't do anything wrong even if they were just asking an innocent question it can still hurt you and you might become a little bit you know a little bit like you might hurt them back or you might change who you are because that hurts Um, and you can live your whole life just burying that thorn deeper and not letting it not ever addressing it um, and it will always hurt you every time it's brushed against The other option is you can get in there and dig that thorn out and it hurts and it's hard and it takes a lot more um, facing it, like addressing it and heading it, facing it head on. Um, But you get that thorn out and then you actually start to heal. Um, And I think about that. I think about that a lot in my life because um, a great example of uh, something that people often mean as a compliment to me, they'll say, oh, I'm such a good conversationalist, or oh, I could talk to anybody. Oh, there's never a dull moment when Brenna's there. And it hurts me because I've been teased throughout a lot of my life for talking too much or for being too loud um, or being too emotional or too, being too. I've always been too. Um, and so, you know, it's something that someone means as a genuinely kind thing, yet it hurts me. It hurts me, and I have anxiety forming about it. And that's because that's one of my thorns, right? 
Um, and so there's there's and everybody has them. Everybody has hundreds of thorns, right? And they could be from serious abuse and trauma, or they could be from something small that just hurt you, but that was never really fully addressed. Um, a great example, and my fiance would hate me for talking about him, but one time I was making fun of his hair, and it really hurt him. And it's like, what? You're like, why would this hurt you? Um, but it had hurt him because of past things that had hurt his feelings. Um, and it was one of his thorns that had never been addressed. And, you know, you talked about how you have had emotional restriction in your life. You know, there are thorns then that you learn, you put a pad over them, and you protect them, and you don't ever dig them out. Um, and it yep. could be something that then all your life you have to think about, you have to protect, and you don't have control over because you restricted it. Yeah, and it's and it's not until I, lots and lots of therapy or lots and lots of reading to help that is like you know personal therapy, whatever that that groundingness groundedness comes from for 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 me, it was through a lot of reading and through a lot of processing, and I was like, okay. I, this is why I feel this way. And as soon as I'm able to acknowledge that, it all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's the thorn. I didn't even I didn't even realize it was a thorn before. I just like, saw Cora it. Cora doesn't a... even know she's got a thorn right now. Exactly. And that's yeah. my that's my point is I think Cora doesn't even recognize is not it, like this, we talk about self-awareness a lot on this show and I I feel like there is that self-awareness piece isn't there yet for Cora. She doesn't even know that this is a problem. And I think that that's really integral to this restrictive thing that we talk about here because oftentimes we don't even know we were, were the, we're restricting ourselves, right? Oh, yeah. We don't even know that we're burying the thorn. We don't even know we have a thorn sometimes until somebody brushes against it and we go, oh, ow, that hurt. Ow. You know? <laughs> and then we have to start addressing it. Or we make the choice to just react and never investigate well and it's so easy to just blame that person who bumped against us instead of looking at our own self and saying oh look there's a thorn there instead you look at them and say that hurt you jerk <laughs> right <laughs> oh absolutely well, and we noticed that this really makes it tough for core to navigate the space that she's in like it, it's a tough it's tough for her to navigate her relationships when she starts to deal with this and she's missing practice but then we even see people start to get upset with Cora because Mako gets upset and bowling gets upset that she's continuing to mispractice, not realizing that she is dealing with this thing right now. And, and so how do we give grace in those moments to understand how, how can we be supportive of, of those when they're experiencing this emotional restriction and what's our role that we play in that? Because we see that Mako and bowling get upset. It could have been different had they navigated a situation similar to Tenzin and creating safe spaces for her to, to process all of that. So as we move forward, Brenna, what are other moments in this that you want to jump on um, the, to talk about this emotional restriction that happens this episode? Um, I think there's an interesting moment when, like you said, you had mentioned this earlier where Cora challenges Amon to a duel. And I thought that was a really interesting moment because it's, I think it was her attempt to face this head on and, and, you know, take care of this, but she still had never admitted that she was afraid. She still, she was trying to take on the fight rather than look into herself. And like you said, become more aware, um, look into herself and face her own, her own demons and her own fear and her own emotions. Um, she wasn't, able to look in and process and deconstruct her emotions she was so busy trying to externally solve all the problems um to and me that's it felt like really she was trying to prove herself wrong 
Yeah, absolutely. And and prove to everyone else that she wasn't afraid. Um, yeah. And even, you know, that brings me to another, like, similar moment is when all the reporters are asking her at Tarlock's party, you know, what's she going to do? Does she even care? Is she afraid? And she kind of grabs the microphone all angrily <laughs> and is like, I'm not afraid of anything. And so she decides, like, I'm just going to I'm going to make a show about how tough I am. And what it really is, if you really look at it, is it's it's a fight or flight response. It's it's a fight response. Right. It's her going. I'm feeling I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling unsafe. I don't even know what I'm feeling. But my gut reaction before I even process what I'm feeling is to fight. It's to fight back, um, which I think she also has. Um, she has that in the form of freeze, that fight, flight or freeze. Um, she also freezes <laughs> um, where she just throughout the entire episode, she doesn't look like herself. Right. Like we usually see her standing confidently, hand on her hip, like using her strong voice and throughout this entire episode her voice is so soft and she's sitting and she's looking down and looking slumped over um and you can tell she's just sort of frozen with this fear yeah there's a lot there i i think that just reverting back to your like thorn conversation it seems like what happens when we restrict ourselves and then these reporters like literally took their finger and like pushed the thorn in harder. <laughs> like, And they yeah. were like, I found it. And they pushed right <laughs> exactly where she knew, like they knew that, I guess, Tar I assume Tarlock fed them questions. That's my part of my guess. Or at least he knew that they would be asking questions like that that would goad her. And I, I think that when we're restricting ourselves, we are less capable of responding to people prodding our thorns is that a stressful fine? situation yeah. <laughs> right like, absolutely yeah and it's tough it's that's a tough moment and it's and i think you're right headcanon points to me is like tarlock met with all of these reporters oh, beforehand yeah. and was like here are the questions that are going to really razz her berries and uh and make sure that she just gets aggressive and gets upset and and, and really poke those thorns and so we see that, and then we see that become an overreaction again. It is tougher to deal with those stressful situations if we are not processing the emotions that come in ourselves before those happen. Mm. Yeah, mm. the whole time she's just trying to convince herself that I'm not afraid. You know, she's trying to convince everybody, but really she's trying to convince herself. Um, and she's yes. just not even – yeah, she's not getting to a point where she can really break down that feeling and and – process her fear i was gonna say talk about her fear but i don't think you necessarily need to talk about it to process it it's kind of like what you were saying about um you know you like different people need to talk about their emotions i'm somebody that i kind of need to talk or write um write a song <laughs> in order to really deconstruct and process my emotions but there are mm. plenty of people who need to do something else maybe they need to make art maybe they need to um, just take time for themselves. Maybe they need to pray, right? Like there's so many different ways. It doesn't have to be talking with somebody, but it is this concept of processing, making yourself aware, deconstructing, and and letting the emotion flow. Um, so that's something that I think that that she's struggling with. She's in such this. She's in such a um, position of going. I'm. I'm not going to feel. I'm not going to feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. That she never has that opportunity to break it down. So I want to move the conversation a little bit towards Tarlock. So I, I have great guy, just I have real a upstanding guy, <laughs> yeah, right? super, super kind and generous, uh, respectful of Earth, our Airbender traditions. Um, so uh, 
Tarlock's use of Yakon's story with Tenzin and the other members of the council early on in the episode to gain power. Um, my question is, is his restriction of his childhood experiences with his father and his brother, is that experience and his restriction of holding on to that for his entire life and not being willing to share that he's the son of Yakon and all of that, how is that affected? What? Sorry, spoiler (laughs) alert. How has that affected his, uh, like, how has that emotional restriction affected how he is and who he is today? What do y'all think about that? Ooh, man. (laughs) (laughs) The answer, in short, is yes. And I think it's for very similar, like, when we have the shame or when we have this experience or when when we're not processing our anger or our feelings of revenge or our feelings of just contempt, like, if we're not processing those and i think you're i think you're right brian i think you hit it on the head that for some people that's meditation for some people that's soundboarding off of other people but if we're not if we're not working to understand why those emotions exist it drastically affects the way that we're going to behave in the future and i think that he is he is trying to navigate the world the best way that he knows how and he has not had great role models for that oh yeah absolutely and you see all of his sort of uh, trauma and probably generational trauma as well. Yeah, so much. I mean, I, yeah, we have not gotten to the episode where they revealed <laughs> all this, and I don't even think at this point in the story he realizes that Amon is correct. His yeah, brother. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't find out until he gets captured. Um, but at a certain point, you still the way that we're raised, the, the environments that we're in, have a deep effect on the way that we grow up and the in the people that we become. And and if we're especially if we're not processing those things and processing our childhood and asking questions and 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 navigating why we learned certain things and if we're not doing that work then it makes it that much easier to then kind of find the moral ambiguity that exists for tarlock and how he gets there um so he's i'm he's dealing with a lot he is i think he's he's just trying to do the best with what he has it doesn't mean we're not going to hold him accountable correct right because he we see a manipulation almost of the way that he yeah. uses airbender tradition when he almost. walks. Almost, you never turn down a guest as airbenders, right? Right. <laughs> well, um, and even it's and like what quick... you said about Cora too. Like he knew how to get to Cora. Yeah. yeah, he knew the buttons to press. And and quick tad bit. Uh, this is just a, a side note uh, from earlier that I missed. I'm really, um, I'm really impressed with Tenzin's ability to reinforce Cora's boundaries that she said at that dinner table. Um, So when she says like, I'm not doing this and Tarlock continues to push Tenzin is very quick to be like, she told you no. Yes. You need, you need to go. We're done. Like, and so just respect to being able to, to enforce other people's boundaries and maintain that safe space, which is just, we don't always do that. And so that's something worth highlighting. Hmm. Tidbit, not tad bit. This is what I said earlier, (laughs) but tidbit is what I meant. Max and I made eyes. Language is tough sometimes, <laughs> and uh, I mess up, but that's okay. We move forward. We accept the mistakes we've made, learn from them, and move on. Thank you for not restricting your emotions on that. Yeah. Yeah, good job. We'd accept yeah. it, process it, move past it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I yeah, have one I more. Agree, though. Oh, go ahead. Oh, before we move on, you should go. Okay. Well, I was just going to say something about, like, uh, I mean, everything with Tenzin and Korra's dynamic throughout throughout everything but especially in this episode um we also see him become so concerned because of how much he's practicing airbending so one of the things i noticed rewatching this episode 
I was like, oh my gosh, we see her practicing her airbending stances like nonstop in this episode. Um, and and Tenzin picks up on like there's clearly something wrong with Cora. Like his understanding of Cora, he's understanding her emotions before she's able to understand them. He's understanding that there is something wrong, even if she's not able to talk about it or admit it yet, uh, just yet. Um, but also it really makes me think about people like diving into their work. Like when they're going through something difficult and they're struggling to process it, they just compartmentalize and they'll oftentimes like go – and I mean I'm totally guilty of it too. I'm talking about it as if I've never done it, but I totally have where it's like, okay, this is very overwhelming. This is very hard and so I'm going to do something that is totally the opposite and that I can just completely dive into. And sometimes that can be a healthy way to, to, to take a break. But you can tell that Cora's not really using it in a healthy way in this episode. Well, and it kind of goes back to our conversation around when when we numb, right? So, like, working ourselves and doing work as a way to not feel something is a type of emotional restriction. And so that's Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what you're pointing to is that when you numb one way or the other, you are numbing everything, not just one thing. And diving into work, which is what I'm also guilty of, uh, workaholic here, a recovering workaholic, I should say, um, <laughs> is one of the, like, that's a great way to numb. I'm, great being like, it numbs really well, not good, don't do it. But like, <laughs> um, but it yeah, works. it works. It works. I, I can vouch for yeah. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that that's really an important thing to point to. I think that's, Great insight. Thank you for lifting that up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So the the next thing that I want to ask is a very similar question to Tarlock, except we, we only get, like, literally three seconds of Lynn. Um, but I, I feel like, uh, speaking of emotional <clears throat> restriction, Lynn might take the cake in terms of, like, holding back feelings. Um and so, like, because we see later on in the series that, you know, she's kind of been holding on to things her entire life and not expressing them. And we, we see her address it later. But I just wonder, with the difference between Tarlock and Lynn, like, to me, it's clear that they're both res- holding on and withholding emotion and restricting themselves from expressing him. And that ma- that manifests in very different ways. And so what are y'all's thoughts on just the difference and the similarities between those two unique experiences? I think first thing is similarly, it both lead to what I would call unproductive behaviors or um, ones that aren't the goal, right? So shutting down the way that she approaches people, (laughs) like in general, um, is heavily impacted by the lack of processing what of all the things she's feeling. We're just currently not aware of what all those things are yet at this point in the series. Um, but you're right. We learn that there's a lot there as most, and, but that's, isn't that like pretty indicative For of life? A lot of people <laughs> like, right. Yeah. But like, it, like we don't know the stories of the people that are in front of us. And so how do we act as support systems when we don't? And how do we make that? How do we do that differently? Which brings us back to all, like what is the most generous assumption that we can make? Right. It, that's what it brings us back to. Like, OK, rather than me being like this person's a jerk or that person's a this or name calling and blaming, how do we bring it back to what's the most generous assumption that I can make? Right. Because it helps us better engage the world. I just think that it, it requires so much patience. But again, if this show has taught us anything is that people's backstories are complicated 
And our jobs as people are to remember that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? we don't know what we don't know what their thorns are. Exactly. That's exactly yes. Well, I think with Lynn specifically, it also plays into this idea of how does our engagement in society through the work that we do or through our employment, how does that affect emotional restriction, right? So if you're in a role or a job that you feel not only like I'm supposed to be emotionally restricted, right? I can't, I'm not allowed to be emotional yeah, um, or have emotions or this idea of like I'm in this position of power and I can't show my emotions and, and the effect that it has long term on psyche and, and on your physiological body like your actual body like how does that have uh, effects long term on that because we know that there's physiological responses to holding in emotions and feelings of isolation and loneliness and all of these things and we know that that has a an effect on your body long term we know that holding these things back emotionally has the you know affects your behavior over time and so what happens when we're jumping into roles that dictate that right like hey, you are supposed to be emotionally stunted because that's what you have to do to be successful in this job, even if that is untrue. Yeah. yeah. I don't have an answer for that, except for don't, if you're in a place of work, don't do, don't do that. Right? Like, don't. <laughs> like, uh, like, allow for people that you work with to process emotions and let that be a norm in, in your organization. Yeah. Um, but if you're not in a position of power in the well, organization, it's tough to do that. It is. And, you know, we work with kids for such a long time that we sometimes we have staff that are experiencing big emotions. But, like, you're also responsible for 20 children. And it's their, like, it's our responsibility to make sure they have an incredible day. So where's the line on, like, making sure that, like, they need a place to process and you're responsible for 20 children, right? And so... There, it complicates things. When like, And so I remember being told, this is probably not the best way to do it, but like, you need to fix your face, right? Where I'm ex I am feeling and experiencing a certain emotion and I am responsible for so many ch kids. At, and, you know, here's what happens. I need to fix my face and put, a, put the mask on, if you will. And that's what I was told, right? When it's easier to do those things if we're processing the emotions at other times throughout the course of our life, right? Like yes. it, it makes it easier for us to do that. But creating safe spaces, I think, in a work environment where people can process that away from the, And I think the that's the that difference, right? It's saying, okay, when we're here, this is not an appropriate time to to express it in this way. When you are here, I want you to express it as as Whatever way you need to, this is how you can do that, and here's when. But, like, emotions don't work that way either. It's not like, okay, I'm going to turn off this emotion now, but I'm going to come back to it later. And it's just – it's a really hard thing to navigate, and I just don't know. I, I'm just kind of complicating a little bit, you know. Yeah, I don't know if there is an answer, um, at least one that I can think of. There, It's so complicated, you know, and it really makes me think especially of, like, women um, in the workplace, in a lot of workplaces where, you know, I have a friend who's – She's been told with her more male-dominated field that, you know, never cry. Do not let yourself cry ever. Like, you, like she'd rather die than cry at work, you know. And it's like this, this concept of you have to be – you cannot show that you have an emotion because a lot of people, unfortunately, see emotions as weakness, right? Um, I think – I don't know. It's it's and I also, you know, I, this is definitely not like a, a female only problem. I think it affects men, women and everybody in between like 
so many men, for example, are taught from the time they're little boys, they're not allowed to show emotion anywhere, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's really Everyone is a victim of the patriarchy. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. And it's, and it's different because, like, if I blow up, right, if I get super angry and I blow up at a team member, that can easily be portrayed as, like, he's just really passionate and wants us to do that well. And I get the benefit of the doubt of that. I don't do those things. I try. I don't do those things. But I'm just saying, as a as a white male in my industry, it is pretty acceptable for me to be passionate about that type of, of that type of work. AKA angry. <laughs> AKA angry. Right. And it's not it, one. That's not how we should act. But also, we don't give that benefit to other people. We condemn other people for doing those things or becoming emotional in workspaces. Even in private sectors of the workspace where it's like you're in your own office. Well, it's like, yeah, no, don't like that. Don't like the feels. So <laughs> I don't think we're, we're going to have you work here anymore. Um, and you're right. Everyone is a victim of the patriarchy. Yeah. And I think the workplace is kind of an interesting extra space, you know, um, so it is kind of it's kind of difficult, but I think that as long as we have a lot of good emotional support in other places, and a lot of times we can at least process things so that they don't become, you know, trauma. Um, you know, you can be sad for a day. That doesn't mean you're depressed, right? Like if you can go home and process that and break it down, then a lot of times you can help fix it. Like I had heard before that anxiety is just a continuation of fear. Like when you look at fear itself or sadness or happiness or any emotion, they're very fleeting. They come and they go. Um, it's when we sort of put up blocks within our body and make them sort of spiral and circle circulate. That's when it becomes something that affects us day in and day out. Um, a good example is the time I fell down the stairs. So um, just recently I fell down the stairs. I was okay. I'm really good at falling because I do it all the time. So every time I fall, I usually am fine. Like, <laughs> I don't know. My body is really good at landing because I've fallen a lot. I'm very clumsy. But anyways, I fell and it was really scary. It was really scary. And I can feel like the fear surge through my body, right? Like I had lightning going through my blood of of that fear and my hands were shaking. And um everybody's like you know you are you okay and I'm like I'm fine um but then like an <laughs> hour later it was out of my body right like literally an hour yeah. later yeah. I was fine I there was no fear pulsing through my body however I still have anxiety about that dumb thing I said like months ago right that like can cause yeah. a real physiological response to my body it's like why is it this thing that that like fear is okay. I was supposed to feel fear in that moment of falling down the stairs, but I processed it. It it went away. Whereas that fear that sort of gets stuck in your body and never works its yeah. way to being processed and broken down is when it kind of, you keep feeling it over and over and over again. Yeah. So that really they, lines up. Sorry. Uh, no, go that ahead. really lines up. That lines up a lot with uh, the research from Hillary Jacobs Hindle and her book. It's not always depression. She talks about the emotional change triangle in that book, and she, there, there are seven core emotions. You can go look it up on, on Google, but there are seven core emotions that are, like, where we stand, and when we experience one of those, that elicits a response from us, and often that response is uh, an inhibitory emotion like anxiety or shame or guilt or we bypass those even, and then we're like, nah, I'm going to go straight to, uh, nope, I feel this emotion. I don't like it because it's bad, and so I'm going to go eat something to cover it up, or I'm going to go binge Netflix so I don't have to feel this thing. And so what happens is generally we feel an emotion like anger. Then we're, we feel guilty for feeling angry 
And then we're like, I don't like feeling guilty, so I'm going to go eat a banana nut muffin. And so what happens is we like it, it becomes this triangle of things that we do to just not feel something. When in reality, if we let ourselves feel it, this is the premise of the book, if we just let ourselves experience that emotion, it is much likely, much more likely rather to just go through us and then it will dissipate. Um, but if, as long as we hold on to it, it will, it will stick with us. Well, and that so lines up with Cora, you know, in this episode, when she finally is able to sort of the fe let the fear in and go, wow, I was really exactly. scared. And she tells Tenzin and she breaks down and she cries and she she opens herself up and and admits and and becomes aware and, and recognizes the fear that was in her. Then absolutely. If you watch the next episode, the first scene is her smiling with her friends again because now she's not totally incapacitated from the fear. It's it's you know, is she still afraid of Amon? I'm sure she is, but she's not totally just replaying fear over and over and over and over again in her mind because she can't let it out. She can't, she can't process it. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't think of a better way to end this segment. That was just like you tied a little bow on our whole conversation. That was awesome. <laughs> really nice. Really nice gift for us. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, thank, well, thank you. So good. <laughs> um, wow. Cool. This has been really cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and then Brennan will still be with us. And we're going to talk about some devotion. Yeah. A little bit of gratitude because who doesn't love some gratitude? Because we all love gratitude. That's right. Uh, unless we haven't processed our emotions and then, and it's then it becomes to feel, hard. It's yeah. tough to feel the <laughs> um, but we'll do that. We'll be right back. And we are back. We're going to do our devotion. We're going to talk about emotional restriction. We're going to do that through the element of air. So who who wants to go first? Who wants to say what their kind of their goal is moving forward for this week in regards to emotional restriction and, and the element of air? Me. I'm ready. So I am – I don't know if you knew this, Brenna, but I also sing. I was a uh, – for those of you that have been listening for a hot minute, I was a music major for my undergraduate. Cool. Uh, majored in vocal performance. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I re remembered during our conversation today was how liberating it is to sing. And I think about all the moments where like I just got everything out by turning the music up in the kitchen and just started singing musicals and just let myself dance a little bit and just like opened up and sang and used the breath that is within me and like I think singing is just a really integral part of expressing ourselves and I think that if I want to lift that emotional restriction often I get bogged down by like no I have to do this I have to do this I have to I'm a workaholic I got to keep working when just taking a few minutes to sing and and get into my body and feel that embodiment and that air embodiment within me is so clutch. So I'm going to commit to this week to to singing more, to to singing at least once a day and really letting myself feel the feels. That's that's me. I win. Haha. -ha. Who's next? <laughs> I'll go next. Um okay, so let's see. For me, I want to take some time to 
right. Um, and I think about like airbenders being creative, like, you know, having connection to music, having connection to art and, and caring about those things um, and being free in the way that they express themselves. That is something that I want to try to do. I want to take a moment to write, and I'm going to leave it very vague because if I decide that I'm in the mood to write poetry, I'll do that. If I'm in the mood to just journal, I'll do that. But if I'm in the mood to, um, you know, write music, maybe I'll do that. But I want to do something that is creative and something that can help me really sit down and process my emotions rather than restrict them. I love that. I have a theory, Brennan, I want to hear your take on it before we listen to Sunshine. So I, because air and, you know, singing are like, you know, you need air to sing. I have a little bit of a headcanon that the airbenders had the best singers. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, 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 I don't know. Let me think about it. I could definitely see that. I could see that. I could see the airbenders being good singers. I wish we got to see some of these airbenders back in there back in their prime, you know, I'm glad we get That's to see like, yeah, like I'm glad we get to see the, the, the rebuild of the, um, Oh, spoiler alert. The, the air nomads kind of coming back, but I'd love to, um, I'd love to really see what their culture and life was like in more than just flashbacks. Awesome. <laughs> love it. Feel good about it. I feel good. Yeah. Confirming <laughs> my head cannon. Although like <laughs> also, you know, Iroh's got some good singing. Like we see him sing a few times, you know, Man, there were those Earth Kingdom secret tunnel. Like they weren't, they were members of the Earth Kingdom. You know, they were singing really well. So I don't know. There, I love there the could Nomad be, band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there could be a lot of. There's a lot of. There's a lot of potential. A lot of competition. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of talent out there. Then, yeah. um, I think for me, in the same vein, uh, one thing for me, and I even thought about doing it earlier today, and I didn't, and now I wish that I had, and I will do it this week. Is it's just meditating to process emotions and taking time every day to to sit for ten minutes, um, either with a cup of coffee or just by myself, or or sit on the porch when I can, and and just think and just reflect. And I think that's something for me that um, really allows me to to process the way that I'm feeling. And so that's what I plan on doing this week moving forward. I love that. So that's my goal. Listeners, what are you doing? What are you doing this week in relation to whatever our lens is air, air and restriction? And how are you setting a goal on, on that? We'd love to hear about it. Send us a voicemail, the at gmail.com. I'm so thankful that you lifted that up. Now it's also time for us to be thankful for some characters. Gratitude. Gratitude. Who, Brenna, you go first. If you're oh. up for it, who are you, you know, grateful for this episode? There are so many characters to be grateful for. Um, part of me really Truth. wanted to do the obvious and be grateful for Tenzin. Um, but I think I'm going to I'm gonna give you a curveball, and I'm going to say mine is Bolin. I just really love the vulnerability that he shows and his ability to just so quickly and comfortably mm. talk about his feelings um, and mm. sort of prevent that 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 um, that forming of a thorn right like he's just like whoa this is scary and i can talk about that i'm not afraid of how people will perceive me for it it's just a really good example and it's the kind of person that you want to be friends with that can help you kind of grow and i just i'm really thankful for bolin for being vulnerable and for speaking about his emotions um yeah when you think about the opposite of restriction i think of the word flow and i feel like he really has got a good flow going there his chi isn't really blocked, yes. if you will. Yes. Oh, snaps. Snaps to that. Thanks. I like <laughs> being snapped at. Sunshine, uh, who are you grateful for? 
I'm going Cora. I'm going with Cora this episode. Uh, the main character. Yeah, I'm, which I rarely do. I rarely pick the main character. But this time I think it's so important to lift her up because she finally gets to that place where she has that emotional release and starts to work through it and, and shares that with others. And I am so grateful that she gets to that place. And this so, is such a pivotal moment for her in her whole series arcs, right? This is just a really big moment, mm-hmm, period. So I, that's who I'm giving my gratitude to is Cora. I love it. All right, so I, I don't know about Bolin being a curveball, but I have a curveball for you because we didn't talk about her all episode. So I'm giving gratitude to Asami. One, because awesome and great. Two, because I I, I kind of struggled wording this because I wasn't sure how I wanted to talk about it. But like she is incredibly kind and generous, and she's generous with her money and her family's money. And she gives it away. She asks for her father's blessing to sponsor uh, the fire ferrets. And she sends Mako a, a, a silk scarf. She's just, money is something that she's willing to give away. She's not gatekeeping that money. She's not, like, withholding it from anyone. She is. She's just giving it away. And I think that that's something that I hope that if I ever uh, am graced with the privilege of having a lot of money that I will be able to give it away as freely as she does. Um, and I mean, obviously I think that I don't know what philanthropy, the Sato industry, future industries is really all about, but I do know that Asami in this episode is very giving and I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Love that. There's so much more to process with future industries and Sato's, like outside oh, yeah. of this lens. Oh, yeah. Like we're I, gonna get there eventually. I event- yep. There, I've, I, I have so many thoughts, and I can't wait to to <laughs> dive deeper into them on everything that revolves around the Sato's. And so I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> we will find a lens. That's at how some I feel point. about every episode of Cora. Like there's so much <laughs> that I didn't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, Brenna Lynn, thank you so much for joining us this episode. We truly, are, we are at the end of the episode, but where can people find all of your things? What are, what, where can they, what are the, the handles and what, where they, where can they find you? Oh, thank you so much for asking. So, uh, yeah, I, if you want to see all of my emotional processing in the form of song, um, that exists anywhere where there's music, right? So, um, search up Brenna Lynn on Spotify, Apple Music, or YouTube is where I update the most. Um, so those are places where you can hear my original songs or other covers of various things. Um, if you like me talking about Avatar, I do a lot of that on my TikTok um, and sometimes occasionally on my Instagram, which is all at Brenna Talks Too Much. So uh, yeah, there's that. But that's where I can be found. And I love connecting with other people. So feel free to reach out to me on any of those platforms. Love it. Fantastic. Love it. For us, check us out at BNB underscore pod, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Those are all places where you can find us. Uh, Thearchivee at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us and send us voicemails of your thoughts on this episode or on future episodes or past episodes. That's a wonderful way to send us a two-minute voicemail, and uh, we'll get you right here on the show. And remember, you can always support us and help us continue to do this via Patreon. You can find us there at BNB underscore pod as well. And on our Patreon, remember, we have lots and lots of cool uh, little little gifts for you if you choose to support us on different some bonus tiers. episodes little, that feature yeah. max two bonus episodes a month we're diving into the comics on patreon That's which right. is fun we're so. even going to be talking a little bit about the dragon prince on patreon which is fun because that show is good so good so good but y'all thank you so much for listening i'm sunshine this has been and we will be here next time